Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me and with Sharky James today. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. And the very super famous Sharky James has joined us. Welcome, Sharky, for to the episode today. Hey, thanks for having me. If you are listening to this podcast, you must be a photographer. And if you're a photographer, you no doubt already know Sharky. But in case you don't, he is the host of the incredibly well done Petapixel Photography Podcast. So great to have you on the show with me. I have a sneaky suspicion this is going to be like the longest photo taco I've ever done. Every show I go on... It's the longest episode. <laughs> right. If you have another podcaster on, just double the time. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> well, it's going to be fun. So uh, i got a couple of things i got to take care of before we get into the meat of the show here. The first thing is... Did you just say the meat of the show? I did. See you know how the I played on that? Reference? Photo taco meat. It's good. Well, it's... I brought the lettuce, so we're good. All, All right. right. <laughs> I want to thank everyone who's joined our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash photo taco. If you're not in the group, you're missing out on like half the podcast at least. Uh, I have guests join the podcast. Uh, Victoria Bampton, when she was on, she's joined. Uh, Sharky's been in there a little now too. And you get to ask questions. It's a really uh, great community of people that help each other out. You can, of course, contact me in other ways on social media. They're in the show notes and at IP Editor Jeff. That's Improved Photography, IP Editor Jeff at gmail.com. All right. The second thing is we have our first ever Improved Photography Retreat coming up. And as of the date of this recording on August 27th, 2016, we don't have signups available still. We're, we're working on that. It's going to be coming really soon. Okay, I know that this podcast episode is already really, really long, but I had to bust in and update this part of the podcast because after we recorded this session with Sharky, this signups for the retreat became available. August 29th, 2016, this site, .com, came went live and signups became available. As you listen to this, you're at least 24 hours behind, maybe more from when those signups became available. So I decided I needed to make sure that the information is updated and you all knew. The Facebook group knew immediately. This is the chance I had to be able to tell you first, and I'll make sure to repeat it in the next episode as well. If you want to come on to the, the retreat and come to my classes, Making Lightroom Run Fast, or participate in an on-location shoot of Desert Landscapes at Sunset, uh, Photoshop Start for the very beginner, then you need to come and join me at the retreat. So there you go. Signups are available, improvephotographyretreat.com. And now back to the very long podcast. But we do know the dates are going to be March 9th to 11th in Phoenix, Arizona. And so we've never done this before, but Jim's thinking is going to open up to 140 people for the retreat. So we don't know how fast those will go, but make sure you stay tuned to the website and the, and the podcast. And we'll fill you in on when those signups are available so you can get in on that retreat. All right. With that, Sharky, let's get to the main topic of the podcast. It's going to be sports photography today since you're an avid sports photographer. And uh, before we do that, I think we need to get your famous starting transition in on the podcast. Let's hit it. There we go. All right. There are a couple of Photo Talk episodes where we talked about sports photography in the past, but 
the show format was shorter. Uh, there wasn't a, a, the good conversation that was going on. So we thought we'd, it's worth repeating, especially because the season's just getting started for sports photography. And we wanted to kind of get everyone excited about it, see if they want to get interested in it. Before we get to the listener questions, I wanted to, the first thing I wanted to do was talk about a couple of things that you've done recently that have impacted your sports photography. So first off, you just moved to Idaho not very long ago. And so how did you get established as a sports photographer in the new area, getting up with, uh, set up with media credentials? What, what did that take? Well, first you can't be anti-potato. That's for one. <laughs> right. So I had to make the Idaho joke. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, and okay, years ago, it really didn't matter if you were a parent or you were just someone with a camera, you could just go onto the field and shoot. As long as you didn't cause trouble, you were good to go. But, you know, in a post 9-11 world, in a po- and this has nothing to do with terrorism, but, you know, in a post <laughs> everyone being more security conscious, basically, we have that all in our heads now, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Um, and I say basically a lot, apparently. Now I'm going to say apparently a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you have to have a legitimate reason to be on the sidelines. But you can make a legitimate reason for yourself. And it could start with creating an Instagram account and just, you know, follow everyone that's, you know, from your local schools, from local businesses and build up your following and be like, Hey, I've got all these people, you know, 3000, 5,000 people that are following me. I'd love to shoot your games and help promote you guys, etc. Now, if you're with a newspaper, of course, you don't need to know this. You've got your credentials. And when I was with the newspaper down in Arizona, I could pretty much go anywhere, anytime, you know, carte blanche access for the most part. Um, When I moved to Utah, you know, I I left a perfectly good photojournalism career, got married, moved to Utah where you are. Yeah. Not too far away, right? You know, next town or two over. Right. And uh, suddenly I didn't, I was just a dad. You know, I did the dad thing for a year and I didn't have a legitimate reason to shoot. And so a friend of mine from back in Arizona has a a website he's or based in Oregon but he started it in Arizona it's a uh, smalltownsportsnetwork.com stsn and so he's like well I can get you credentialed I'm like first let me see if I can do it on my own right. so I contacted the UHSAA which is the state high school governing athletics and activities association and every single state in the union has one you know it's when you have your state championships they're in charge of it they're in charge of the rules etc and so I contacted them and I said, listen, I'm a former photojournalist, blah, blah, blah. And basically they were like, I, we don't care. <laughs> we don't, I don't care who you were in that other state below us. We don't care. You have to have a legitimate reason. Yeah. And so they denied me credentials. And so I went to my friend and he's like, uh, yeah, I can give you credentials. And then very next week. Had it all set up. They're like, okay, now you have legitimate reason. <laughs> okay. You know, at the end of the day, I still got credentials, but you have to, so you have to be creative. And, and I wouldn't suggest that anyone lie and anyone try to, you know, trick their way into shooting sports. You want to be honest. Yeah. Cause once you're found out, you're never shooting again. They will yeah. specifically ban you. They will send your picture around and you will not be allowed in. Right. You know, and you might not even be allowed in to games just to watch them even if even if you're paying so you got to be really careful with that you want to be legit above board but you can make your own opportunities like i said instagram account facebook show them that you're doing 
something that's going to help. And, you know, do you want to go into the different scenarios that we talked about how to get access now, or do you want to wait until we get into the questions? And- no, I, I wanted to kind of describe to my experience. So in prepping for this show this week, Sharky's been encouraging me to see if I could get access so that I could go to my local high school game this, that happened last night. And uh, so I did. I, I reached out to sponsors first. That was Sharky's recommendation was, well, yeah, just see if any of them, like contact the real estate agent. See if the real estate agent who would get essentially free advertising out of the deal by you being there. They could uh, they could get the photos and they could just post on social media and be like, hey, look, we're so glad that the team played and or hopefully, well, they they, luck, they got killed last night. So it's, it ended up... <laughs> It ended up being okay that I I wasn't there to shoot because they wouldn't have been wanting to share a whole lot of lot photos there, but um, but the the problem was I started too late before the season, and so I started asking what was it Tuesday of the week for for a Friday night game, and I nobody was getting back to me. So I it's not and that this no one is late. We yeah. should probably say I'm sorry. We should probably say this is late August as we're recording, right? This. And so a lot of people are you know their kids are back to school, but a lot of people are on vacation. A lot of realtors, stockbrokers, etc take time in august to go on vacation so it might they might be they might not even be on vacation they might be just get getting back and having to get back into the grind and not be able to field these email requests or calls right so it's not that i've been told no it's just no one's replied yet (laughs) there the feelers are out there nobody's come back to me yet i even so then I, i tried to contact the athletic director uh and the last ditch effort was a social media thing i just Put it out there on social media. Hey, I really want to shoot Harriman High School football games here in Utah. Anyone can hook me up. And I actually had someone respond. So um, they haven't hooked me up yet, but they're at least going to talk to the right people so that I might be able to get something by next week. So that'd be good. Now, that one I would caution to be careful with. Okay. The social media route, because you want to come across as someone who's like, you know, legit and whatever. you don't want to be like, hey, I want to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Because then it's like, oh, there's that guy well, that really, really, really wants to get into games. And the the contact i have they know me as a photographer so um that's what the pitch will be she's she's head of the booster organization for the high school basketball team so um so and she knows me as a photographer so she'll be saying i have a photographer neighbor that's uh that wants to come shoot games what do we do so we'll see often as you know who you know is (laughs) really really helpful i didn't even know she was a booster it's you know and it's and it's you know a lot of people like well i don't know anybody you know I'm sorry. Get get to know people, right? Because yeah. it's a good reason. You know, your network. You you know people, and if they know, like, and trust you, right? As the saying goes, uh, you know the the wheels are greased. You're in so easily. So getting credentials. Once you've got them, there's really no questioning, is there? Once you have credentials, as long as you're above board and you're not doing things you shouldn't be doing, you know, causing trouble, yeah. taking photos. There's been in the past. There's been people that have been credentialed. Uh, that weren't with newspapers, the people that were just, you know, they got credentials, who, let's say, had an unusual interest in cheerleaders, Uh, for instance. And you have to, (laughs) even when you're with a newspaper, let me tell you, you learn the hard way. You got to, like, be really careful with how you photograph cheerleaders because not everyone knows who you are. Not everyone cares who you are. You could be with the newspaper. They don't care. You have to be really sensitive about how you shoot cheerleaders, how you shoot children, you know, we live in a world where everyone is super hyper, you know, sensitive about right. things. And so you have to be really careful about uh, who you're shooting, why you're shooting them, etc. But now I forgot your question. Once <laughs> 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 you have credentials, yeah. Okay, back around. Yeah. Um, if you have credentials, that's uh, that's great. You're good to go. 
Now, here in Idaho, surprisingly, you don't have to have well, the state governing body doesn't issue credentials. You just have to have a credential of your own. So you literally could make one. And that's not, you know, like trying to be all black hat and, you know, subversive to the system and everything. But you could literally make your own credential and roll on into any athletic event in Idaho. Unless it's the, you know, maybe state finals or something it might be a little bit. They might question you a little bit more. But if it's the same people that have seen you around, you're probably good to go. Every other state... Most states, they're going to credential you. They're mm -hmm. going to actually send you credential. It might not have your photo on it, but it'll be a laminated pass. Well, Arizona, that was just, you know, construction paper. It looked <laughs> like it was colored paper. You had to put it in your own thing. But in in, uh, in Utah, it was laminated. And, uh, and, you know, there's, of course, good and bad reasons why they do that and don't. But Idaho, just make your own. Huh. It's Idaho. Every, yeah. You know, it's Idaho. It's Idaho. Yeah. That's <laughs> all you need to know, Idaho. <laughs> All right, let's go to the, the other thing that's changed recently for you. You switched from Sony mirrorless to Nikon D500, mostly for sports photography, right? Yeah, and so I've had, you know, I've had Nikon. I've been Canon, Nikon, Sony, everything for a long time. Well, I haven't had Canon for a while, but I've been a Nikon guy for the last, I don't know, since like about 2008 or so. And I worked Sony mirrorless in there, and it was fun shooting with the awesome, and I still love it, still have it, not going to get rid of it, yeah. the Sony A6000. For $450, if you need a cheapo sports camera, that's your go-to right there. Like, there's not another DSLR that's $450 that can handle what the A6000 can handle. Right. You know, and so, and there's available lenses. I had the 70-200, still have it, 70-200 F4. And so F4 is not the best, but it's a sharp lens. That one, you know, stop difference between 2.8 and F4, not huge. If you have decent lighting and your ISO is pretty decent, you're shooting raw. That's when you want to shoot raw, um, you know, when you have these challenges. And it was great, but I just recently worked in a Nikon D500. You know, I talked about it on my podcast. I talked about it on social media. Yeah. And I was, you know kind of just what should I do what uh, you know should I stick with a6000 it was fun shooting games and then people scoffing at me for having this tiny <laughs> right. little, little Fisher Price looking kind of camera <laughs> and then showing them that I got photos they didn't get now like I said on the show I'm a bit of a ringer I've you know sports photography is most of my associated press journalism awards are in sports photography so you know it wasn't a fair fight as it were right right but still you know you got one and a half arms tied behind your back with with that little camera but still it was fun but i'm tired of having fun i want to get you know great images um there was definitely shots that i missed with that that i wouldn't have missed with a capable right dslr and so the a6000 was it's a great camera love shooting it even for sports but it's just not up to my skill level the d500 is and right. so that's why i chose it so the the biggest difference between the two, why they're why you're missing them, was it the focusing system? Is that the the key thing? Um, well, you know, okay. So the focusing system in the D five hundred is the same that's in the D five, and the yeah. D five is a sixty five hundred dollar camera. Right now, I used to have the D four S and a D seven fifty, and sold those to the Miami Dolphins of all people. Which <laughs> are, you know, people hear that and they're like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." It's like really, it doesn't matter who really bought it. Just like you know, an interesting interesting asterisk. Yeah. A friend of mine is the head photographer over there. So he's like, you got these two cameras that you're not, you're hardly shooting. So they're practically pristine. We'll buy them. And they got a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> I, lost, I lost a bit of money on that. A lot of money. 
Uh, a lot. But they're not <laughs> gathering dust anymore. No, they're being shoot. Yeah. They're shooting NFL football, which is great. Um, but the focusing system in the D500 is outstanding. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, I guess. But um, the so it's better than the A6000, the focusing system. But also the controls and the way everything feels and everything is just right there. And the Nikon menu system is not perfect, but the Sony one is, it makes me, I wanted to throw the camera <laughs> several times. It's The Sony menu system is horrid. It's just who an engineer clearly designed it right, right. Not a UI expert some guy that it, that you know in japan because that's where you know where all they're made and, and designed clearly was like you know what here's here's what we're gonna do this makes sense to me doesn't make sense to anybody else in the world but to an engineer it's great that you get into trouble when they say all you have to do is and then they walk through this you know these steps it's like oh you shouldn't have to even have this discussion Here's the thing. When you're shooting sports, okay, when you're, when, you know, when you're shooting to make money or you're shooting professionally, you're not going to use the A6000. You're just not. The D500, D5, similar, you know, those single and double digit and even, you know, well, triple digit too, uh, Nikon bodies you're going to use. But the A6000, there's so many buttons you have to press and then dials you have to turn. And then, you know, to, just to get what you need to that I can get to in one button press on my D500 and D500 so awesome. I practically just have to think about what I want and it just knows Jeff. It's just, okay. It's not quite that great, but it's, when you get the <laughs> point. It's, it's such an amazing camera. And it was the first time I shot sports with it last night. And I pushed so many frames down range. Let me tell you, it was like I shot 18, almost too shy of 1800 frames. And that is a Sharky James record. Never in my life. I don't think have I ever shot that many frames. My typical game at the end of a, uh, well, yeah, not even at the end of the season, but back in Arizona when I was shooting for the newspaper, I would shoot 250 maximum That's crazy. shots during an entire football game, and that includes before the game and halftime. Because you just, you know, after years of doing it, you just, you got a deadline, and we weren't a daily paper, so it wasn't, you know, so critical. And I was shooting raw. So, you know, in Lightroom. So that was a frustration, <laughs> ongoing frustration, as we know. Yes. Come on, speed up Lightroom. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I give Adobe, you know, some stick about that. Yeah. It's it's not photo mechanic. If you want speed, you want photo mechanic. I went through all 1,800 photos last evening, as tired, you know, as fatigued as I was, in like 45 minutes. Now, in Lightroom, that would have been like seven hours. <laughs> right. Because you have to wait for it to render to see you know, what uh, the photo is. Okay. That, that was horrible. Like, I don't want to have to wait to see how out of focus and horrible my photos are. Right. I want to know instantly how much I suck. Right. Right. So, you know, I shot 1800 photos. The next game I'll probably shoot about a thousand. I was just, you know, putting it through its paces, messing around with the autofocus settings, getting the lay of the land, you know, and, and obviously it was the first game too. So you're going to shoot more in the beginning of the season than you are at the end. So you're going to slowly hone in on this because uh, you you haven't done it for what a year? Has it been a year since you've shot the yeah, football? The last time I shot was uh, let's see, it would have been late September of last year, and then the the last half of the season or the last you know after that, uh, I didn't shoot. We ended up moving to Idaho, and so we were packing and just doing you know I wasn't you know if I, I wasn't shooting professionally, I was just shooting just because you know something to talk about on the podcast and yeah. And, you know, and cause I enjoyed it, but, uh, yeah, so it's been a while. So I was a little rusty. So 1800, almost 1800 frames. And by the end of the year, you'll expect to get back on that 250 mark. 
I don't know. You know, it's it, it, if I'm shooting every week, which I plan on doing every Friday night. Uh, you know, I don't know. I might keep it at like around 500 or so. I might have a little fun. I don't have to shoot as tight as I did back yeah. when I was shooting. You know, on deadline for the newspaper, so I can have a little fun. You know, that's what's great now is like I don't have to. I'm not doing this for a living. I do the podcast for a living, so uh, I can have fun with it, and that makes it more enjoyable. And so, do what's fun for you. You know. And I think that's going to be the case for a lot of our listeners too. They're, it's it's going to be because they enjoy it and it's fun. So. Oh yeah, and if it, listen, if you haven't shot football ever, you're going to shoot a couple thousand frames. So don't even worry about it. Just know that you're gonna ha- and so per- block out hours after the next day. Right. That, e- that even no one shoots and then goes home and goes to sleep unless they really have to. You're gonna go home. You're gonna be up a few hours. You're gonna look and see what you got. You're gonna be like, wow, this is re- I got some good ones. And you might post in the social media. And then the next day, you know, you figure on a good six to eight hours, you're going to be going through your photos. And, you know, especially when you first start shooting, that's right. just normal. That's completely normal. Don't feel like you're just a glutton. You know, you're just like, just ha- enjoy it. Okay, let's let's get to the next part of the, the episode here now. So on the Facebook group, we promised uh, one of your famous transitions between topics. So go ahead. Next. There we go. All right. <laughs> now we're going to talk about the listener questions. We've already tackled a couple of little areas in this, but let's go through the specific ones. The listeners that out in the Facebook group posted some really good discussion topics that we'll go through. So David West asked, many times it's difficult to get floor access or field access to get good pictures. What are some good tips for taking good pictures with that kind of limitation? So obviously we've already talked about the best thing to do is get rid of that limitation. <laughs> get down on the field or the court or get down where the action is so that you uh, you don't have that limitation. But if they can't do that, if like I don't <laughs> ever get my media credentials here, what can we do? And see, this is going to it's going to be a different answer depending where you are in the country. If you're in a small community where you have a where you still have a newspaper, <laughs> says the former photojournalist who ended his own photojournalism career. A perfectly good job. Hard to come by. And I was like, you know what? All right, it's been real. Um, you know, you fall in love, you get married, you move to Utah. Yeah, that happens for everybody. It, it happens, you know. <laughs> so um, if you live in a smaller community where you have a, let's say you have a weekly newspaper, and it could be like if you're in Phoenix, like the New Times uh, here uh, in Boise, the Boise Weekly. I think they're probably the same company, you know, tabloid style newspaper, not uh-huh. tabloid trash, tabloid, you know, format, longer form kind of newspaper kind of thing um, or just a regular newspaper. But it only comes out once a week. They are just hurting for photos. They may they probably don't have a photographer, you know, in the newspaper business, we say photojournalist photographers, you know, the general term like doctor and you've got, you know, specialties. So I would contact your local newspaper first and be like, listen, I have a camera, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're not paying anyone to do this anymore. I'm joking, you know, but everyone, you know, because everyone's a photographer these days and that's right. Right. Um, you know, like I have a camera, um, you know, I would like to shoot games. You're under no obligation to use them. You're certainly not going to pay me and they're not going to. Right. Uh, you're going to get credit. You're, if you're lucky, you'll get $10 and that is probably not going to happen because they're strapped for cash. I mean, less and less people are, are reading newspapers. So say, listen, uh, you know, and go practice first before you go, Hey, I'd like credentials to go shoot the local college or high school. Um, so if you can shoot, you know, like pop Warner football or something right. where you're going to 
you, know, you might be questioned by parents. Again, back to the parent thing. Um, so there's a strategy to that to not look like you're a pedophile or something, <laughs> right? You know, it's just it's, that's yeah. the world we live in. It, it is. Uh, but contact a local newspaper and and say I'd like to shoot for you. And uh, a lot of times they're going to take you up on it because they just they're just hurting. And if they have you know an area like the area that I shot in for my newspaper, we covered a massive area and there were eight high schools. Uh-huh. And I was the only photojournalist. Now they have no one. They just use the sports editor and they don't even have a sports writer anymore. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten out there. So if you can cover, you know, a game or two for them, I shot three games in one evening once. That was challenging. Almost got a speeding ticket. <laughs> so they, the last game with five minutes to spare. The, Go ahead. the newspapers would be excited to have someone offer, do you think? Yeah. I mean, what, what can they say? No. You know, I mean, that's the worst they can say. Um, the big newspapers don't even bother. They're not going to, you know, it's unlikely. Unless they know you, unless they know the quality of your work, they're just not going to deal with it. But the smaller newspapers, the weeklies, twice a week, go ahead and contact them. Uh, a short email. Don't make it a long, rambling email. And uh, you might get access. Then, of course, you know, the other, they, what was his name? Matt? Or uh, Dave, David Dave, West. Yeah. David West. He, uh, he asked how to gain access. So that's one way. The other way we touched on earlier in the show, create an Instagram account, put your photos on there, be rather selective. They don't even have to be sports photos. Build up your following, like I said, and approach it that way. Uh, the other way, like you said, um, the, another way that works incredibly well when you actually hear back from them is contacting the sponsors. And the reason why is, you know, everyone's strapped for cash these days, especially schools. So they count on their sponsors immensely. Like they just, they need that money. So if you can make the sponsors happy and a sponsor can drop an email or a call for you to the athletic director or someone else at the school and get you credentials, you're going to get them. So you'll be shooting for the sponsor and then say, listen, I'll provide you with like 20 or 30 photos every game that I shoot and you can use it on your social media and your website, uh, your marketing materials, whatever. Because they want when they're giving thousands of dollars to the school, they get, you know, the banner and stuff, but they also want something in return as much as they can. So if you can get value added like that, something they weren't expecting, right. I will give you photos. You just got to get me in and I will give you photos. You are golden. And there are multiple sponsors. So if you get a no, keep going till you get a yes. And they're, they're not only are they wanting more out of it, this is going to cost them nothing. Right. Exactly. It's like I said, it's completely it's value added. They weren't expecting it. You know, they're giving a couple grand or so a year to the school and no one was giving them photos necessarily. But you are or maybe someone is giving them photos. Uh, a lot of these schools, they contract with photographers these days. They never used to do this. This has only been like the last. I don't know. I'd say it's more prevalent the last like five to ten years or so. They will contract with a local photographer who may or may not have a photography business to shoot headshots for all the teams, you know, because they've got team programs. They don't want to go do it the, the old way, which costs money, <laughs> right, to go pay, uh, you know, a lot of money to go pay a photographer to, you know, send the team there, shoot headshots, uh, have someone come out and shoot games, you know, for their programs and such. So they'll contract with a local photographer and they'll do like a revenue share kind of thing. Or they'll say, okay, you can provide us with game shots, team photos, et cetera, et cetera. And in exchange, you get to keep all or most of the money from the photos that the parents buy. Right. 
And so, you know, you could try to bid for that and they usually give it to the lowest, you know, <laughs> right. lowest bid, right? Not the highest quality, but, whoever's the lowest price. <laughs> yeah, government and schools, you know. So it usually is, as long as it's decent, acceptable enough quality, probably better than the athletic director can shoot. Right. You know, um, they're going to get it. So that's one angle you could do that. But then that requires a lot of work. Then you're committing to doing headshots and everything. But if you just want to shoot games, you know, you've got a, a, a few options. Like I said, the sponsor route, building your own following. Um, if you're in Oregon, you can contact my friend Craig Lash over at Small Town Sports Network and, and he might hook you up. Um, and so there's just there's a number of ways. Be creative, but, you know, be honest about it. Don't, you know, don't try to weasel your way in and, and be that guy or that, I'm going to say that guy because it's usually guys. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm purposely excluding our female audience here because women don't do this. They have better sense. Yeah. They don't you know? creep people out. It's, yeah. it's the guys, the guys go there and they go just do things that shouldn't be done. <laughs> okay. How about minimum gear? If you want to do this, uh, you maybe have like for the, the beginning listeners out there, I have quite a few of them. Uh, they picked up a camera, maybe bought one at Costco or Walmart or something. What do they need to have in order to have a chance at doing sports photography? All right. So, you know, there's day sports and there's night sports. If it's night football, you're really going to need, you don't need, you know, something in the multiple thousands of dollars. But I would say, you know, if you haven't bought a camera yet, look at the Sony a 6,000, that's 450 bucks. And see, the problem is with lenses, there's not like a huge selection. Yeah. And you're going to pay about $1,500 to get a 70 to 200 2.8. And that 70 to 200, um, or no, 70 200 F4 is going to be $1,500. A 70 to 200 millimeter F2.8, the G Master from Sony is like 2500 bucks. That's ridiculous. Right. But, you know, for, I guess for combined for a lens and an A6000, you're talking two grand. Um, but you know, like a Costco camera, like what we're talking, like a Nikon D 5,500 yeah. sort of thing that'd get the job done. Um, earlier in the football season, as you and I discussed, um, when we were prepping for the show, you know, it's lighter out, you know, depending where you are, if you're up here in Idaho versus down in like, you know, California or Texas or something, depending on how much light you have, you know, almost all football games start at seven o'clock, right? every Friday night. And so earlier in the season, you've got some light to deal with. So you can get some really good shots for a good half hour, hour or so. And then things are going to go south on you quickly. Once it's dark, then you're really pushing the limits. You want to shoot raw. Absolutely. You know, you'll hear people say, oh, if you shoot sports, you got to shoot JPEG. No, you don't have to. I, when I was with the newspaper, I shot raw. My camera could handle it. I had the time. I didn't have like an immediate deadline. Right. And if I did, I would just shoot raw plus JPEG and, you know, keep the raws for later on if they needed it for a cover or something. But uh, you're going to shoot raw because you've got more latitude there. That's a minimum. Unless you have a fancy, we're talking $2,000 on up camera. Generally, you're going to shoot raw. Um, you're going to want your the fastest lens that you can get. And, you know, for most people, it's going to be a kit lens that's going to start at like f 4.5 and go to 5.6. So if you have, let's say you have a 70 to 300, a Nikon 70 to 300, that's like what F4 to F5.6, I think, something like that. Might be 3.5, so, but yeah. Okay, so at 3.5, so when you're at at um, 70 millimeters, you're at F3.5 at the best. Right. That's the most light gathering power you got right there. And when you're at 300, which you would want, you know, with football, obviously, 
or it's helpful at least, especially with like soccer, you're going to be at F 5.6. So you're not doing yourself any favors when it comes to light. So yeah, as far as a camera goes, minimum, you're going to need something that's going to be able to handle, handle the, the, the dark conditions. And you know, you're going to be shooting night football. You're going to be shooting when it's completely dark ISO 6,400 minimum. So daytime is certainly a lot less demanding. At daytime, oh, yeah. you're going to be able to do, even with the cheapest of cheapest Nike or uh, Costco cameras or <laughs> Walmart DSLRs, you'll be able to do just fine. And you have some more lens selection at that point because you can go with slower lenses. All of that's going to going to be brought open a lot more. And, and I've been able to do that. I mean, I have my own kids are involved in soccer, so I go to the games and and it's not weird at all since I am a parent and they all know me to take my camera and, and go shoot there. Um, had a lot of fun doing that, and it's made me practice enough to where I think I'm ready to be able to go try and do some some high school football. I think that would be really fun. And uh, But now it's a question of, wow, what gear am I going to do? So my plan is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent a lens uh, because I'm not, gonna, I'm not ready to buy one yet, but I'll rent a lens. If I get media credentials, I'll rent it and then go to the games, and that'll be really yeah. fun. And the go-to, you're not going to get a 400 millimeter f 2.8. No, that, that's a little too advanced. And most people, I mean, you need to shoot for years to be able to handle that lens. You're going to get a 70 to 200 to 8. Yes, that's all you need for football. For years at the newspaper, I used a 70 to 200. It was so you have you have so much latitude. You know, this isn't pro sports, and you know, when if I do shoot pro sports, it's a 400 to 8. But if I'm shooting high school, uh, it, it's a 70 to 200. Or like last night, I used my Sigma 120 to 3, uh, 120 to 300 millimeter f 2.8, but that's a 3300 lens. Right. So you know that's that's a little bit, and that's a beast. That's heavy, uh, not the easiest to shoot with. 70 to 200 all day long. You're gonna get better shots, but you can get it done with a 70 to 300 if you have a camera that can you know do at least 6400 ISO and you know fairly well noise wise. Uh, you can get away with a lens that is a kit lens, but maybe so what you do a strategy wise is you don't go to 300. You do whatever gives you like, let's say F4, F4.5, even if, it, if that's 100 millimeters, just shoot 100 millimeters the whole game. Right. You know, and you can always zoom out if you need to zoom in, you, you, you will. And then so you'll be underexposed. And if you're shooting raw, you can just deal with that. I mean, you're going to shoot 2000 frames, like I said, so you're going to come away with I mean, if you came away with 20 good photos to post on Facebook. That's awesome. That's, good that, night. That's all you need, right? Yeah, really good night. You know? I mean, so, you know, people get all stressed about it and they say, oh, I need, I need, I need, there's that word, I need the fancy gear. And you just don't. Is it helpful? Yeah. You know, when you're shooting day games and you've got that kit lens and you're at f5.6, you know, it's nice to have that nice, you know, background blur of the bokeh uh, at f2.8. But 5.6, you're zoomed in the 300 millimeters no one's going to tell the difference. I mean, if you put them side by side, yeah, but most people are, you're just, you're concentrating on the action. Right. All right. So, know, so, so David had a kind of a second part of his question and he said, okay, and, and how do you deal with lighting changes, inconsistencies that either indoor or outdoor, especially as you move around to follow the action a little bit, be ready to be in the right spot, your lighting conditions are changing. So how do you, how do you keep up with that? Well, indoors, your lighting's not going to change. Um, your lighting will be the same. Now, you know, you one like let's say you're shooting you're shooting uh, high school basketball or volleyball. 
you might have one end of the court uh, that's a little bit darker than the other, but generally they're fairly even. Close enough. Okay. High school football, like I said, you know, um, when we were, you and I were talking about a strategy for shooting, you know, you shoot at seven o'clock, you got you have a lot of light, so you're probably at ISO. I was at ISO like 100, 200, and then all of a sudden the sun starts going down, and you're creeping it up. You're watching your shutter speed, you're seeing what you're getting, and you keep going higher and higher and higher. So in that sense, your lighting is changing. But once it's dark, so night uh, night football, night soccer, etc you're going to be in manual mode because your lighting is not changing. Now the end zone might be a half a stop darker, but if you're shooting raw, who cares? Yeah. Half a stop. Even if you're deal. shooting JPEG, who cares? Um, the worst field I've ever seen, maybe you're talking at like a one stop fall off in the end zone. So, you know, that's really not that big of a deal. Okay. So manual mode. Uh, <laughs> we also talked about as we were prepping for this, uh, you could do aperture to give you an idea of what the camera thinks the aperture should be based on the shutter speed you want, right? Yeah, it's a good starting point, but you're going to want to, if you're shooting indoors, you're going to be in manual mode. You're going to set it uh, to your fastest aperture because that gives you obviously more light gathering. So if you can do 2.8, you want to be at 2.8. Right. You don't want to be in in an, in uh, shutter priority or, heaven forbid, program mode. You know, P doesn't stand for professional, as <laughs> everyone says, right? So it just doesn't. You want to put it in manual. You want to dial in f2.8 or f4 or whatever. And that's going to, you know, your aperture is going to change uh, if you don't have a, a constant, you know, lens that can do, you know, 2.8 throughout the whole zoom range. So there's that to be, con- you know, in consideration too. But you're going to want to be indoors. You're probably going to be at ISO 6400, f2.8, f4, whatever. And then from there, you're just going to work that shutter speed and see what you're doing. Again, if you're shooting raw, you have a lot of latitude. Don't be afraid to overexpose if you have to. Right. Because it's unless you have really expensive gear, you are going to be underexposed. Yeah. And and uh, so using the histogram would be another thing that you could do. A bit more of advanced technique, I guess. But, uh, but it's a good thing to watch. But even then, I mean, you could look at the histogram, but you're dealing, you know, if your camera is limited, it's going to be on the left side. <laughs> yeah, you're going to just you're going to get what you're going to get. You're just going to try for the. You're just going to hope and pray that you can do your best right? until you eventually can get a fancier camera. Now, cameras are getting better all the time. So when, if we have this conversation in five years from now, it, the, the Costco cameras are going to be able to handle indoor sports and night football, no problem. <laughs> right. It, it's literally becoming. It's last night when I was shooting the D five hundred. Okay, that's a two thousand dollar camera. It's the professional, you know, APS-C size crop sensor camera. ISO was not an issue. I could I could have gone to twenty five thousand six hundred if I needed to. I had all the light I needed. Right. And we're going to go through great. some of the shots so that that people can see. The listeners can go look it up. I'll have some shots posted. In the uh, at the website where the the show notes are, and so you can see some of the shots, and and we have a couple of examples of really really high ISO and how it's still really good. So that D five hundred is incredible. How about metering modes? So if you're going to use aperture priority to try to get an idea of what aperture the camera thinks you should do, uh, different metering modes to use. Just put it in matrix. You know, put it in the the whole kit and caboodle. Forget mm-hmm. spot, forget partial. I, no one uses those for most of the time. It's going to be, you know, the one that's got. And, and it, I think it's isn't it the same? I don't see. I don't even know. I don't even look. It just I have it on uh, 
you know, evaluative metering, I guess they call it yes, for Canon. on uh, on Canon. Right. And at Nikon, it's a matrix, I think. It's the whole everything. Yeah. That's what you want it on. You know, unless you're in a situation where the lighting is just crazy different, you don't, why, why would you use spot or anything else? You just don't need it. Just put it in matrix, see what you get. That's your baseline. Set it to manual, put in those settings. And then from there, like I said, if you're shooting sports, you want your fastest aperture. All right, that's set. You're indoors, the horrible lighting, you're going to be at 6400 ISO. You're just going to, unless they're unbelievably bright lights and you can get away with 3200, you're at 6400 ISO. And then you just move your shutter speed. That's it. Exposure triangle. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and really. if you, if listeners want to know more about metering modes, there is a full photo taco episode dedicated to metering modes. So you can just go search Google for photo taco metering modes and uh, you can get more information about that. Okay, let's move on to the next question. So Kenneth, I don't know how you say this name, Breivik, I hope. <laughs> is it B-R-E-V-I-K? B-R-E-I-V-I-K, yeah. I'd say Breivik. Breivik. Let's go with Breivik. It's, it's always Sorry, dangerous Kenneth. to start <laughs> trying to pronounce people's <laughs> names. Uh, he said, I've been shooting soccer for many years. My boys both played. Tripods are not allowed, but even with a monopod and pushing the ISO hard, I still get many blurry shots as those dreaded night games. I professionally just shoot commercial headshots in buildings, so my camera's a D810 Nikon. I know the game, so the FPS, frames per second, isn't an issue, but I want to increase my sharp shots. So first, Sharky, tripod, monopod, or handheld? All right. Again, it's going to depend, like everything in photography. <laughs> it depends. Is, it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, if it's a day game, of course, you shouldn't have any issues with sharpness and blurry photos. You know, you should be in yeah. aperture. Okay, ninety something like ninety percent of all photojournalists, sports photographers are in aperture priority, unless you know the the lighting situations aren't changing, and then you're in manual. For the most part, I mean, you know, I, I, I tend to shoot in manual because I'm keeping an eye on the lighting and I'm, you know, it's just, that's just what I do. But so day games, not a problem, but I think he's, you know, he's talking about night games and horrible lighting. Yep. I'm, I'm assuming they're not shooting in, a, in like a really crazy, like storm rolled in. They still have the sense to shoot, which I've seen people do before with lightning. And that is not smart. <laughs> so the reason why, and for people who are wondering, the reason why tripods are not allowed is liability issues. You know, if the if the school lets you and the, and the officials let you shoot with a, a tripod and someone runs into that, that kid's maybe soccer career is over. There goes his you know college scholarship, et cetera. So they're really serious about that. They don't even really want you to use monopods. But if you do, you better get it out of the way quick. Yeah. They're coming toward you and, the, and you know there's going to be an impact. You better move. You better take the hit instead of that that uh, monopod. Otherwise, you're probably not going to shoot again. So nighttime, you're going to use, you're not going to be handheld and you're not going to be in any VR or IS, you know, image stabilization mode because that works against you in sports. So don't turn that off. And if you're thinking about buying a 70 to 200 to eight and you're mostly shooting sports, save the money. Don't buy the image stabilization version that stabilizes you, not the action, you know, right. and it works against you when it comes to autofocus. It takes longer. It's just, I mean, you can work around it, but it, that's a really advanced move. You really don't want to do that. So, you know, to, for him to get better, Kenneth, for him to get better shots of um, of soccer with a D810, which isn't really made for sports, but you can make it happen. 
most cameras can handle it. Um, you know, you're like I said, you're going to you're going to want to be at a higher ISO. He may not want to be, so put it on 3200 or six, I don't know how the D810 does at 6400 ISO. I don't think it's wonderful, but just do it. A little bit of grain, a little bit of noise is not bad. That's better than a blurry photo. Would you rather have a photo that's all blurry right. and not or, artistic or a little looking? noisy? Yeah. <laughs> or a little noisy. Like, yeah. you know, we've got some photos that they're going to see over at the Photo Taco community on Facebook. How's that for a plug, huh? Yeah. And <laughs> um, you're going to see some, you know, pretty noisy images that you don't really care about because, you know, about the the noise because it's a nice image and, and really it's it's pleasing grain, pleasing well, noise. Photographers tend to make such a big deal out of the noise. But when you show a non-photographer a picture, they usually don't notice the noise unless the picture's like really bad anyway. It's poorly composed. It's blurry and it has noise. <laughs> like, ooh, that's a terrible shot. Yeah. But the only people that care are photographers. Yeah, it really is. Especially if you're going to put it on Facebook. They're going to mangle that sucker anyway. So it's... <laughs> yeah, just don't worry about noise. You know, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to long for a camera like a D500 or D5, etc., where the noise is great. But you know what? Those cameras are coming. If you can't afford it now, in five years from now, you'll be able to afford it. So work on your technique. Work on getting better. Shoot day games if you can. Shoot practices, football practices, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, you know, as far as shooting for Kenneth and everything, you know, a monopod would be great. That's going to help you a little bit. Uh, ISO 6400, if you have a 2.8 lens, great. Otherwise, you know, dial in that aperture. You know, sp with soccer, the, the action, you're not running up and down the field to the action. Soccer is difficult to shoot. You're waiting for the action to come to you. So that's why you use a long lens. But if you can't afford a long lens that does f2.8 and you're stuck with a kit lens, you're going to have to wait for the action to come to you. Don't shoot maybe past f4, f4.5. So don't zoom all the way to 300. You know, you got to like, you got to pick your battles. Yeah, right. You know, so it's a, it's a give and a take. If you're going to shoot at F5.6 at ISO 1600 because you want no grain, uh, you're, you know, they're going to be horrible photos. They're going to be blurry. You're <laughs> asking too much of your gear. It's like, it's like trying to race a, a Ferrari, you know, with a, one of those little smart cars. That ironically is not smart. <laughs> <laughs> right right you know so you gotta you gotta pick your battles and and just you know be good with it it's either that or go into debt which i don't recommend or maybe rent here right. and there yeah you know and see what it's like right that's a good idea i think you you can rent one one weekend especially if it's maybe a bigger game and you really want to make sure that you have the best possible uh position with the hardware to the cameras that's a, a good thing to do. It's a really inexpensive way. And you can see if it really makes a big difference or not for you. Maybe your camera body is still not going to be good enough to, to get there, even if you had the expensive lens. You know, and that's a great tip. And look at the schedule also. Look, you know, if you can shoot a Saturday afternoon game, why are you bothering with Thursday night? Yeah. You know? So just, you know, check out the schedule. That's a, that's a huge tip right there. Just look at this. And you can go to maxpreps.com. M-A-X-P-R-E-P-S dot com. And they've got all the schedules for every high school in America. Uh, JV, uh, varsity, you know, every sport. And then also, you know, also uh, Max Preps is another way you could shoot for them and get credentials too. So we forgot to mention that. Max Preps, I don't know. They still do it. You know, there's a lot of Max, Max Prep photographers out there. So check it out. Okay, good idea. 
So how about a minimum shutter speed? I, I suspect that's part of what Kenneth's problem is. He's trying to get the exposure triangle, play with it, not go over the ISO limits where it's really noisy, and then the shutter speed just gets too slow. So what's kind of a, a minimum guiding point for indoor versus outdoor? Uh, again, it depends on the time of day. Yeah and such but you know in sports generally you want about a thousandth of a one one thousand that's always been hard for me to say one one over one thousand <laughs> and then way. we talk about it that way and there's no one on the camera either so listeners exactly. are like how do i i don't find one one thousandth where is that <laughs> you want the one thousand then let's say <laughs> yeah. um it, that's that's a good starting point you know there, last night like i said i shot 1800 frames and I was all over the place. I was shooting two fiftieth of a second, and I was getting sharp shots. I was shooting, you know, up at four thousandths of a second. You know, I was really pushing. You know, obviously, I was at twenty five thousand six hundred ISO and higher, and getting faster shutter speeds. And that's another thing too. How fast of a shutter speed do you really, really need when you're shooting football? If you're shooting at four thousand on four thousand, let's say four thousandths of a second, you that's overkill. Unless we're talking to somebody from the year 2054 <laughs> where cameras can shoot a million ISO and you can, sure, four thousandths of a second, eight thousand, why not? But right now, that's completely overkill. If you're going above a thousandth of a second, you really aren't doing yourself any favors. You know, you're going to have a higher ISO. You're going to have, you don't need that. Do whatever it takes to get you like a thousand or 800, but sometimes you've got a camera that just can't do that and you might have to only do 250th of a second so you're going to have to you know wait till the action's closer to you and you're going to be a little bit more wide angle you know so that might be 70 that might be you know if you have a like a 50 millimeter lens you can shoot i brought my 50 with me last night i didn't change lenses i intend i brought three lenses i used one <laughs> i was having too much fun with my 120 or 300 your sigma yeah <laughs> so you know changing that's another thing too it's like you bring all these lenses with you to a game and you're probably going to use one but you might you know? need them to impress everybody yeah exactly <laughs> I've got, oh i've got some stories about that <laughs> okay let's talk but, focus modes because that could be the other reason he's getting blurry photos the focus is missed so focus modes uh on canon you have one shot ai focus ai servo i love how jim put this <laughs> it was really funny he has an article at improvephotography.com that says 13 things your camera wishes you knew and one of them is the different focus modes and so he summed it up he said one shot is for when neither you nor the subject's moving ai servo is for when either you or the subject or both are moving and ai focus is for when neither you nor the subject care if your focus is accurate <laughs> so so basically it's don't do ai focus it's uh trying to blend the two between one shot and ai servo and it does neither well, and it just misses a lot. So, um, but in sports, with especially when the action is going to be moving, people are going to be changing. You want your depth of field to be um, as narrow as possible to let that light in, get it as fast as you can. So uh, that means the focus is really important. And uh, one shot's not going to work. You're going to need AI servo uh, in Canon. What is it? A Nikon? What they, I'll name them different. But do you know what it is? I don't even know. It's a, like I said, I don't care. I just, I said it and I forget it. It's like AFS or no, like that's lens. I don't know. It's like, uh, there's so many darn different modes and I really don't care. I sound like someone who doesn't know anything about photography all of a sudden because I don't care. Just put it on. It's like continuous. It's like AFC. Right. So you said it once and then you're done. Or, 
Yeah, AFS is single, AFC. Yeah, I said it, it's done. Now, last night, the reason I shot 1,800 frames is because there are so many darn options for autofocus, and that frustrates people. I'm a professional. I've been doing this for a long time, especially sports, and it frustrated me last night, thus 1,800 frames. So now I've got a better idea of what to shoot on next time. And there's also, I don't know if you talk about this before too, in now, this might be the more advanced cameras. I don't know. I don't know how far down Nikon or Canon's line it goes. But you can choose to, every time you press the button, you know, it, it takes a picture. You can, right. or you can do AF on also for your focus. That's a whole separate thing, you know, just how to shoot. But also, you can set your camera to uh, where it will not take a picture unless it's in focus. And in sports, that's not a good idea. Right. I have a friend, an old sports uh my old, uh, uh, not sports editor, but one of the sports guys at my old newspaper doesn't make enough to afford this, but still bought a $6,000 Canon 1DX Mark II. He's in his mid-50s. He's like, you know what? I want good gear. I want better gear than the paper has. I, I know it's a pride thing. I want better photos. I, I'm getting the peak moment of action, but they're horribly dark. So he went and did, you know, got a $6,000 camera. And he's like, shouldn't I have it on this mode where... It won't take the picture unless it's in focus. And I'm like, no, because you're going to miss almost everything. Right. And he goes, well, the point is to get a, a focus, uh, you know, a picture that's in focus. I'm like, well, that's nice. But, you know, a little bit blurry, especially in newspaper work, a little bit out of focus is OK. Right. It's better than no photo. You know, if someone's robbing a bank at midnight and you're at ISO, you know, 100,000 or whatever, it's a crazy snowstorm. <laughs> You're, you'd rather I don't care if it's in focus or not. You've got a po you've got a picture of the bank robber, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with sports. It would be it's a luxury to have it completely tack sharp. Let's put it that way. And most people aren't going to get it completely tack sharp. Even with today's uh, cameras, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to shoot for years to get everything completely tack sharp. You will get tack sharp photos, but they're not all going to be that way. So you want to set it so it doesn't only take the photo when it's in focus. You want it to start. When it sees something and you and you know you paint your target with the uh, with the focus uh, little selector there the little square the little red square mm -hmm. and then it'll start focus so maybe the first one's out of focus but the second through like the ninth are in focus right. great so that's what you want to do so there's I mean we could do a whole show literally on focus modes oh yeah not yeah and, and actually plan <laughs> to but not today yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, next question Linda Mayer. She said, uh, any tips on swim meets would be great. Would a polarizer filter help with sun glare? I have the hardest time capturing good shots of the backstroke. So, Sharky, have you shot swim meets? I have. And, again, we have a topic going here. Swim meets especially. Well, if you think it's sketchy shooting, shooting cheerleaders, go, oh. to a, go to a <laughs> swim meet. I don't care if they're adult women or guys, whatever or especially children, and you don't have a kid that's there, you better have special permission. Right. That's for one, because that's nothing looks sketchier than that. Right. You know, I, I shot for the newspaper, and even I felt a little creeped out shooting, you know, children in their swimsuits, you know? Yeah. So when you're shooting uh, um, sports like that, when you're shooting uh, swimming, Polarizer, I don't know. I mean, it, it changes the look if it if it has any effect at all. It's going to depend on on where the sun is, of course, in relationship to you, whether or not your polarizing filter is even going to work, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you want to be like what ninety degree angle 90 to the from, sun. Yep. 
So, you know, polarizer, I wouldn't mess with it. It's going to darken your image by, I don't know, maybe a stop or so, right? Um, it could, it could, depending on if it's, you know, glass or plastic and how well made it is, it, it could mess with your colors. Absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't deal with it. Your biggest problem in shooting swimming is going to be focus, you know, because especially if they're doing like the, uh, the, you know, the breaststroke, they're coming in and out of the water, in and out of the water. They're turtling every, every once in a while, right? You know, the head's popping up and it's yeah. like, whoa, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Your, your camera's not going to track that. You're just going to have to pick off shops, you know, shot sniper style. And then you got all that spray from the water that's yeah, going to mess with your focus. It might pick the water droplets. That's why if yeah. you have a camera that can, and this is, the, the, I think, the more expensive cameras that do this. I don't know how far this one's drilled down also, but you can set the delay till it tries to refocus. So something right. like swimming, you would want it on a long delay. So once it has is acquired to focus on that swimmer, it'll hold focus and then it'll just ignore everything that, you know, comes in front of your sensor, like the water spraying, etc. But as far as a polarizer, skip it. Okay. So what, uh, anything in particular for the backstroke? I don't know why that one would be so, I've never shot swimming. So any advice on that? Oh, on backstroke. Let me see. I don't know. Nothing specific. It's Seems just like the like breaststroke a, would be way harder than the backstroke. <laughs> they're, 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 listen, swimming is difficult to shoot it just in general you're gonna get you know for you're gonna get one decent shot for every like 30 that are horrible i mean it's just it's not easy to shoot like i said focus modes and technique are gonna be king there so I, gonna, I, you can set the delay set a delay a long delay like i said and just you know just keep keep that you're gonna be on okay and so you're gonna be on center point focus you're not going to be on group mode or 3D or any of that nonsense. You want center point. Mm -hmm. And you want to keep it on the person that, that's swimming. Because a lot of people will put it on automatic and be like, oh, the camera, you know, I spent like $1,500 <laughs> on this at, at Costco or Walmart. I'm going to put it on automatic and let it do thinking. No, put it on single, you know, single point mode right there in the center. Yep. And then just keep it on them, and you will get way better shots. Especially because on the on the cheaper cameras, the less inexpensive—I shouldn't say cheap—that's bad, but less <laughs> expensive cameras, uh, the center is frequently the only one that's cross types. It's, it's the only one that's actually the fastest type of focusing there is, and the others aren't. So that's another good reason if you're if you're using a less expensive camera to use the center point. Exactly, it's more accurate. I love those cross type sensors yeah but you're right in those in the less expensive ones you may only have that single point in the middle or there may be four or six or something but not not all of them so that's yeah. a it's good bottom to line up. shoot swimming with just one autofocus point now I, I it comes to mind that jim actually did a shoot with a, a gold medalist swimmer and they spent i think two or three hours shooting and she was diving into the water over and over and over and over so that he could keep taking shots because it was that hard it's that tough to get it and then he spent hours and hours kind of mixing the photos together to get it to be just how he wanted it so it's it's and, tough and that's a good example so you know jim hasn't shot a lot of right. uh, sports a lot of that so that's a perfect way and, you know, he's just like the rest of the audience in, in that regard, something he hadn't done before, hadn't done yep. much of. And it just shows you that you can't get great shots unless you shoot a lot. Yeah, you got to practice. Unless you're really experienced. Got to practice. It's like anything else. You, you know, people think, oh, I buy a, a $6,000 camera and I'm going to be great all of a sudden. Well, you can't go buy, 
you know, what, where else can you, you know, like go buy a, a bow and arrow set? Uh, you know, you're going to hit the, the mark. <laughs> yeah. Everyone thinks though you buy an expensive camera and all of a sudden you're going to be a great photographer. And so, well, you know, what can you say about that? Yeah. So it, it's good it, maybe even to start off with the inexpensive gear so that that become work until that becomes the problem. <laughs> Put work. yourself through a lot of pain and anguish test how committed you are to photography yes yes and yes then, and then get the good stuff right and work until you are absolutely certain that the thing holding me back is what's in my hand then then at that point you can you should consider it okay yeah, next question oh i want to just say oh really go quick. ahead so my former sports um you know writer that bought that six thousand dollar camera so you know he's been shooting for decades you know he's 55 so he's been shooting for like 30 years or so and the gear was holding him back so sure. he shot with that fancy camera last night and all of a sudden now he's got beautifully exposed images and has all the shutter speed he can have and he got wonderful images so gear can make you can make your photos better if you can you know nail focus if you can get the peak moment of action sometimes your gear is holding you back but you need to know when that is right and it's not going to be when you first start. That's absolutely certain. No. <laughs> okay. Let's Robbie go. Saint said, I currently have a 5D Mark III that I use mostly for sports. Would the 4 be worth purchasing? Would I notice a performance or image quality difference sports-wise? All right. So, Shark, you're not a cannon shooter. So, I thought I would give you kind of my thoughts on this, given mostly this is spec-based. I mean, at least the uh, announcement's official, and we know the specs for sure. But we don't have a lot of information on people who put these things through the ringers and give us better uh, information based on actual testing. So it's kind of a uh, premature discussion at this point. But here's kind of just spec-wise my thoughts. So first is megapixel increase. Um, as long as there's no low-light capability loss, as long because when you increase the megapixel, you could lose low-light sensitivity. It, it might get worse. Um, but it's going to be pretty welcome, and it's going, it's going from 22.3 to 31.7 megapixels, which you know is not all that big, but it's a lot bigger than the jump they made from Mark II to Mark III. The Mark II was only 21.1, so they only went up like one megapixel between the Mark II and the Mark III, and this one's quite a bit bigger jump there. Um, so this should mean an increased ability to be able to like crop in on the results, which could be really big in sports. You might be able to shoot a little bit wider and have more uh, chance of capturing exactly what you want as far as composition goes and then crop in after the fact and those extra megapixels could help you to get there, but it probably still is not a, a good reason to upgrade to this camera for sports. What do you think? I think you're spot on there. Like I said, it, you don't want to be at 300 millimeters and get a horrible aperture if you can be backed off right. to, let's say, 70 and get like f3.5 or f4 or whatever. And so having that extra, you know, 30 megapixels you have there total instead of 20, whatever it was before, uh, you're going to be able to crop in. Now, that's not the best way to shoot sports because then you're putting a little target on little people further right, away. Right. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. You know, you, you can't you know, squeeze blood from a turnip, as they used to say, <laughs> as the old people say. So, but that's going to be really helpful. So do you want to go through the other specs yep. too? Yep. Yeah. So focus system is the next point uh, that might be some improvement. We got to wait for formal testing on this too, to see how it is, because it's, it is changed. 
according to DP Review, they say that there should be about a 24% increase on vertical coverage. So one of the the things that's plagued the higher-end Canon cameras was you have a lot of focus points from left to right, but up to bo- up to top to bottom, there weren't as many. You you if you needed to focus on something at the top or the bottom, you had to move your camera. And so this this will have a 24% increase on that vertical coverage. Probably means at least a row above and below what was before. Um, so that's helpful. That's going to be helpful for it, sports. It could. I mean, if you've got left to right, you know, coverage, uh, you're going to be some of those points are going to be over the players. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you're the vertical one so much. Not. I mean, it could help, but yeah. And they they increase the number of cross types. There's some changes. Again, I don't think this is enough to justify or say expect you're going to get dramatically better shots if you upgrade. Okay, um, the third one I thought was, and and this is probably one of the places where this might be the most meaningful thing for this feature I can think of. Uh, Wi-Fi. So it's, Wi-Fi is in this camera now, and with sports photography in particular. It's all about how fast you can get those photos published, how fast you can get them to either your your uh, newspaper or your your athletic director department or um, just sharing them on social media even. If uh, no one cares about the, the pictures from the football game uh, five days ago, <laughs> it's, everyone's already beat you. They've already seen all the, all the photos. They don't care as much about the pictures that were a long time ago. So... Um, Wi-Fi could really make it so that you can get stuff out there super fast. You could take some photos. You could use Wi-Fi to get the photo, a JPEG version over to your phone, do some limited editing and get something out there really, really fast that night of the game even. And uh, that might give you a a big advantage. So I could see, uh, depending on how this works, uh, I could see this potentially be something that's worth it and depending on how, what you're, why you're, why it is you're shooting. You're going to have to be super motivated to do that, though. Again, I brought three lenses last night and I used one. You know, I thought and I had this uh, this dream of using all three and then, uh, you know, taking some uh, pictures of my phone, sending them to my phone, etc. And that just didn't happen. I was, you know, concentrating on on the autofocus modes. So if you're going to use the Wi-Fi, uh, you got to know how to use it ahead of time to, yeah. at the games, not when to, to try to figure it out. And you're probably going to use it on a limited basis. If you have a social media account and people are actually following it or you want them to follow it, you know, a few photos is good. You don't want to bombard people with photos and then they unfollow you. You know, maybe a photo each quarter or you're going maybe at halftime, you review your photos and you're like, you know, here's my like two best that I can see on the back of my screen. Let's send those to my phone and do some, you know, quick adjustments and then upload those done. But you're not going to be using it a lot. It's no. not going to be. You're just not. It's and, it's going. It's a nice feature, but you're not going to use it. You might use it once. And it's not something that's going to improve the quality of the photos. Obviously, no. that doesn't no. change that at all. So if that's the focus, if you're worried about Robbie, if you're worried or wondering how is it going to improve the quality, of course that's not going to affect that. But the the last two things would be, and and there's nothing published on it yet that I've seen. The dynamic range and the ISO invariance. Those are two attributes of the camera sensors that are tracked really closely now by a lot of people who test these things. And it can, that can be just a dramatic impact. So if, and Canon's been behind here for a while, they've really been behind everybody else on those two factors, dynamic range and ISO invariance. But with the Canon 80D that was released earlier in 2016, and 80D sounds like it's attention deficit disorder. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible name for a camera. But the 80D, 
Um, that one, they, they, the testing, testers said that one caught up a lot. They closed ground on the difference between Canon and a lot of other cameras. And so there's hope that the 5D Mark IV may also have made some ground up and that that will improve significantly. And if it does, yeah, that would make this worth the upgrade. And, and you should have an expectation that your picture quality will improve. So I think most people understand dynamic range, you know, the the range that your camera can capture, you know, dark darks and the brightest brights. Do you want to explain ISO invariance to people? I am glad you brought That's right in the show notes and I skipped it. So, yeah, thanks. For that I'm up. not even reading the show notes. <laughs> I have it right there. Define both for the listeners who may not know the term. I hate it when I do that. That's It's kind of one of my main focuses in Phototaco is I don't want to use terms that like a beginning photographer wouldn't understand. So Did thank you, you for bringing main, that. main focuses on a photo oh, show. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Exactly. All right, go ahead. Okay, so Uh, dynamic range, yeah, difference between the brightest bright and the darkest dark and how well it can capture that in a single frame. Oh, and let me tell you something really quickly. Yeah. The the dynamic range, I'm getting like, I literally am getting goose pimples right now talking about it, and the hairs are standing up on my my arm, so you know I'm a photo nerd. The dynamic range and the D500 and, of course, the, the D5 is incredible. I mean, I didn't, I don't, I didn't send you any shots that show it, but I've got shots where the bright sun is beating down on the cheerleaders from across the field. And there's like a lot of, you know, like white signs, white railings and stuff that are super bright. And then there's areas that are in deep shadow and you can see all of it. It's, it's like beautiful. You know, like our eyes, the human eye sees what, like, I don't know, it's like 14, 18 stops of light or something like that. And the cameras are getting closer and closer. The D 500 is wow. Just Wow. Amazing. Just I I was expecting when I got the photos on my screen, I was expecting, uh, you know, me to have to do some slider adjustments. Nope. They were just almost all good to go. Amazing. Just amazing. All right. Uh, Go ahead. That's awesome. Yeah. So if the if the 5D Mark four catches up some, I don't have to go all the way even. But even they they had they were so far behind (laughs) if they caught up even halfway to closing that gap. That would be huge for sports photography. Okay, ISO invariance. So that it, this this is a, a kind of a newer thing that that uh, has been tested on cameras lately, and that's that it really doesn't matter what you set your ISO to when you take the the picture. And we didn't believe this. The improved photography guys, we <laughs> we're like, come on, there's this is not real. So we did some testing. We had listeners submit photos from every type of camera that we could get, and it was a lot. There were hundreds of type of cameras, uh, even had a lot from the same model too. And we had them test it. You take one shot at ISO 100, one shot, you know, which would be horribly underexposed, and then one shot where the ISO is set in camera so that it's properly exposed. Send those in, and then in, you know we do the t- the you go with manually increase the exposure on that underexposed shot, and compare the noise levels to see what they look like. And there are some cameras where it's no different. It doesn't matter what you set the ISO to in the as you shoot the take the shot in camera, you can adjust it in post with exposure levels and have exactly the same noise. Uh, Most Canon sensors are not that way. And it's really valuable to have that um, because then you don't have to worry so much about the ISO. Um, I still, just so you can get a good idea when you're looking at the photo in the camera, it's nice to have it set up to a level where it looks more properly exposed and you can kind of get an idea of the shot you just took. But having ISO invariance could be really big. 
generally means that there's less noise overall. So, so but just to reiterate, you don't want to go shoot night football at ISO 100. No. <laughs> because no. you want to test this out. No, 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 no. Right. You want to get close. The point here is, is you got some wiggle room, especially if you're shooting raw. Yes. Yes. Go, you know, on, on Photo Taco, he said I could shoot, <laughs> could shoot that ISO 100 and I'm good. No, 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 no. And there's there's really not that many who are that are ISO invariant either, and it's it's not trivial. Like it's tough to find out if it is. You'd have to probably actually do your own testing just to make sure it's not a bullet point any manufacturer is putting on their cameras yet that it's ISO invariant. But okay, now that's, I'm gonna have to try that in my D500. I have no idea if it yeah, doesn't. I would be surprised if it's not if that I saying that it does support ISO invariants. Well, let's test that out. Yeah, I'd be good to know. All right, next question. Jeff Gates asks, uh, what is the thought and planning process like before an event in order to get all of your planned shots during the game? I was really glad he had asked this question because it was one that I wanted to have you speak to. When you're getting ready and you're planning what you're going to do, uh, what does that look like, getting re ready for an event? All right, so I don't plan anymore because I'm pretty much on autopilot because I've been shooting you know, high school over the years since high school, since I was in high school, we're talking 30 years. So, but what I generally do is I go in. All right. So let's say, were we talking like shooting football, for instance? Yeah. I run through all the sports, but let's or, say or maybe football. going back to before you were familiar enough with shooting football, how are you prepping for it to, to be ready? All right. So when I first started shooting, you want to tell a story. I mean, you know, I was a photojournalist. Uh, so you, everyone who's listening to this, most of them probably not photojournalist. And most people, I think, go into it going, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I've got field access. I'm going to go just shoot the action. Well, there are thousands of people behind you, you know, or hundreds at least. And each of them has a story, right? And some of them have crazy, you know, wigs on, they're dressed up. There's <laughs> right. there's th some goofy photos behind you. So don't just shoot the action unless that's what you want to do. There's stuff behind you. So I, you know, a game starts at seven o'clock. I get there maybe 6.30, 6.45, depending on, you know, parking. You're going to be parking far away. So you got to plan for that too. Unless you get there really early, you're not going to get a good spot. So you get in there and, you know, the team hasn't come out yet. And so, you know, the cheerleaders are getting the crowd pumped up and you want to look in the crowd. You got maybe daylight still this time of year or later in the season. You're not just, you know, just walk down the sidelines about maybe 10, 15 feet or so in front of the stands and look into the crowd. Just look and you're going to look like a creepy person doing this. But, you know, just pretend like you're looking for someone. And because you are, you're looking for people that are dressed up that have, you know, crazy wigs on, et cetera, that are making weird faces that are all painted up or, or whatever, and get those shots. And so the crowd isn't going to be very well lit, of course, you know, all the lights are aimed at the field. So you're going to be at a higher ISO. So part of the plan of attack there is to set your camera properly and get some crowd shots. Then you can check that off the list. And then, you know, the, um, the team's going to be either running through a tunnel or most likely the cheerleaders are going to be lined up on either side about 15 or so feet apart. And then the players are all going to run out. They often will burst through a giant uh, piece of paper that's, you know, the cheerleaders have written everybody's names or numbers on, et cetera. You've seen that before at football games. Yep. So you're going to, you know, you want to get far away. You don't want to, you don't want to get hit. So you're going to get well past them. So they have room to see you. I, I've been bowled over before because I'm crazy. I get, you know, I want to get a great shot. So if I have to, you know, I'm going to feel a little pain, it's okay. 
long as I don't break any bones. And the older I get, the less I do this, mind you. But uh, you know, you want to get you want to get low because you want that hero angle. And so you want to get you know maybe like 20 or feet or 30 feet or so past the line of where the cheerleaders end, and you get low. And if there's that piece of paper, you want to focus on that, and you don't want to focus again. That's your focus, you know. Wait for them to bust through and just let her rip. So you have literally let her rip. The uh, the paper is going to rip, and you're going to have them coming through, and you get great shots. And then as the players are coming for you, and we have one to show the audience if they go to the Photo Taco Community uh, Facebook page. Um, there's you know the players that are coming through, and they're all hooping and hollering and stuff. And those are those are fun shots. You only need a couple of those. You know, shoot a bunch, but you're only going to you know you maybe show one of them mm-hmm. to people. And so you know. That's that. And then you're going to have the national anthem, et cetera. Remove your hat. If you got one on, put your you know hand on your heart, et cetera. But is it now a lot of people ask me too, is it okay to take pictures during the national anthem? Yes. Some people might look at you and think you're un-American. Now, for those of you outside of America, your mileage will vary. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know what you do in your country, but, and, and you're going to have different res- rules of respect and, and such. But generally I will, I will start with, you know, I'll have my hand, I'll take my hat off my, hat that you see everywhere in my pictures and stuff and uh i'll put my hand in my heart and then i'll look around i'm looking left to right I'm, I'm i'm generally facing the flag but i'm looking this is really specific i'm looking left and right and i'm looking for shots and you're going to see also a photo in the photo taco community facebook page of two referees and you know they're facing the flag too but one thing i've noticed that i haven't seen in a long time it's years is one of the um the refs was saluting yeah, that's a so great I'm shot. I'm guessing he was in the military. Usually you only salute if you're in the military. So um, I noticed that. I was not in position, and I hurriedly got over there, and I got low, and I placed the flag to the right of them. I thought about placing it between them, and I'm like, nah, I want it on the right side. I want to yeah. do a little bit of rule of thirds here. He's on the left. That's right. on the right. It balances it, I think, a little bit better. Got low, took the shot, stood up, put my hand back on my heart, and then I'm looking for – you know, it's like it's almost like a sniper. You're looking for your ne- next target, right? It, yeah, cool. I love how too the flag is unfurled, like the wind blew it almost straight at this in, in the shot. And I've got shots where the flag is almost down and it's you know bent. So I, that's where you're gonna, you know, you might use your well. We used to say motor drive back in the day. You're gonna spray and pray right. on that one because you want ideally you want the flag all unfurled, or maybe you want it's got a little bit of bend in it. That's okay, too. Yeah, it's clear there's um, motion there. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening during the pledge. And, you know, there's players that have their hands on their hearts. There's, you know, you might every once in a while catch a really patriotic person with a tear in their eye. And I've gotten that before, too. The cheerleaders have their hands on their hearts. The crowd does. These are all times to take pictures. And if someone gives you crap later that you di- were taking pictures, explain to them. I wanted to capture the patriotism right. that you guys were showing. And so forgive me. Like I, it was no disrespect and you know, I'm a good American, blah, 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 blah. But I wanted to capture that. If, if a photographer never took a photo during the national anthem, there would never be photos of people with their hand on their heart. And then, so th- then you would think no one's patriotic. Yeah. If you were just looking at photos. So, you know, that's the national anthem. And then we run into, you know, and then there's kickoff or whatever. And, and, the kickoff is boring to shoot. It's the same thing. You're going to shoot once and you're like, oh, I'm good with that. It's a, it's a guy kicking a ball, you know, and if you can get his foot on the ball, great. If you can get a little motion blur on that, great. If you can, and there's just so many options. You're going to have many, many chances during a game to get kicking shots. 
you know, and then you've got the games happening and then you've got, I'm trying to run through here so we don't have this like a five hour episode. And then, <laughs> right. right? <laughs> but hopefully, hey, if you're into sports, you know, break this up. You know, this is more like a photo, uh, not taco so much as a burrito. And everything yeah, this else is the too. full like, meal deal. Yeah. This is the full meal deal. <laughs> and uh, so at, at halftime, you've got cheerleaders, of course, and you've got the band. And there's great shots to be had uh, for that. A lot of people, they're like, uh, I just want to shoot the game. And that's fine. But there's great shots of cheerleaders performing. Now, they didn't do that last night at my game. They brought out a bunch of little girls and, they, you know, future cheerleaders. They, you know, they called them and everything. Um, that's what you want to shoot. And if you're trying to sell photos and if you're allowed to sell photos, you know, a school might not want you if they you get credentials or you just shoot their games and then you're selling photos and that's competing with the official person that they have to do that. They might ask you to not come back. So that's another thing to think about, too. But if you're looking to make money shooting sports things and you're allowed to shoot all the girls, all the little cheerleaders that you can, because you will sell those pictures to their parents. And there were dozens of them out there. Those are each they're dollar signs above each other. Heads. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> if that's what you're looking, I don't, I don't sell photos, but if you're ching, there you go. There's another $10 to ching. And, and you know, you could buy your gear that way. Right. You know, it's all how you sell it. You could be like, help me get, you know, better gear. You could, Hey, you could even have a GoFundMe project or something like that. I don't know. But, um, you know, there, so there's, there's halftime opportunities to shoot and then you're going to have the players come out and they're going to practice a little bit, you know, warm up. And then you have the second half of the game. And of course you're in darkness and this time of year, you know, from like the second quarter on, you're going to be darkness. Um, but there's, there's opportunities after the game. A lot of times the players will come over to the stands and they'll hold up their helmets and they'll like, you know, beat it with their other hand. Um, kind of like, thank you crowd, you know, whether they win or lose there, there's, there's shots to be had everywhere. You just got to look around, you know, put your head on a swivel, like, like police officers do in the military, put your head on a swivel. Look left, look right, see what's going on. Don't just look at the game action and call it good unless that's what you want. You might find that you like shooting stuff in the crowd and all the other things that go along with game night. You know, tell a story. Does that cover it? Yes, I think that covers it. And and so if it's not football that you're shooting, a similar type of analysis. Think about how the game flows, what happens at the beginning, what people will want to see captured, um, looking behind you still, all of those things, it really makes for more interesting shots, um, like a collection or an album of shots from a game when there's more than just the same few players <laughs> trying to catch the football or kick the football. Uh, really helps to add some variety to stuff. All right, last, you know last question. Wait, hold on Go second. ahead. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right, it's an IP takeover here. Okay. <laughs> We're, uh, you want to go online, too, and look at, at photos that other people's have sh- people have shot. Go to Flickr. Go to you know sportsshooter.com. Look at what other people are doing when they shoot high school sports or whatever you're shooting or wanting to shoot and see what they've done, and that will give you great ideas. Okay, love it. Okay, Steve Whitaker, he asked, I, he said, I've been ODing on facial recognition in my Lightroom catalogs. Um, I'm, t- I'm determined to get this stuff organized before football season this Friday. And I, th- I think what he was talking about was um, the, co- the Lightroom catalog that he's got is disorganized. He can't find stuff when he wants it. Uh, the facial recognition he's hoping to use to help him to find stuff when he wants it. And um, so the first thing I wanted to say here was if you're looking on tips about how to make facial recognition actually kind of work in Lightroom, 
Um, because if you just leave it how it is, you just leave it on all the time, it just takes forever for it to do anything meaningful. Jim's got a really good video, Lightroom Medic at improvephotographyplus.com, and he walks through how to make it work, so it's really cool. But what I wanted to actually talk about with his question or his comment there in our Facebook group was um, how to organize the photos. And so, Sharky, I'd like to know how it is when you get home after shooting the game, and you had those 1,800 shots from last night, Walk me through the process of putting the flashcard into the computer all the way through to I have these 40 shots I'm going to publish. All right. So in my case, it's an XQD card because it's a D500. It has an XQD and an SD card slot. And, you know, in the past I've shot compact flash. There's CFast, et cetera. So, you know, I'm popping it in. I'm transferring it over to my iMac, going and getting something to drink, et cetera. Come <laughs> back. It's transferred over. Um, I'm naming the folder and then I use what's called photo mechanic and you know, for full disclosure, photo, the people at, at camera bits who makes fo uh, photo mechanic hooked me up with photo mechanic for free. Um, and I'm going to be beta testing the next version, which I hear is awesome. But many photojournalists, many sports photographers use photo mechanic. And I've been talking about photo mechanic for the length of my podcast plus the previous one. Uh, it's just great. It's, it, it's so quick. If you're in Lightroom, it takes forever to see each photo in photo mechanic. Literally the photos are just there. They're rendered. I don't know how they do it. And we're talking raw files, not even just JPEG. That would be too easy. Raw files. So I'm going through my images and you can press different buttons and you, you know, you can star rate them one to five. So if you want to like, if that's the way you think, I, I don't think it stars so much as I think in colors. So I'll go through, and I'm doing this in Lightroom too, and you can match it. I will uh, press a button, in this case one, in, in Photo Mechanic, and that's green. So I'll go through and I'll go, okay, green, that's my best photo. I like that photo a lot, but it's not my best, so I'm going to make that red. Everything else I don't care about, they're dead to me, you know? So I'm going through and I'm going green, 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 and in 45 minutes or so, I went through all 1,800 photos. In Lightroom, that literally would have been hours. We're talking five, six, seven hours for 1,800 photos. That's insane. And then so from then on, I've got photos that aren't colored, so they're not considered photos that are labeled, well, they're labeled, they're not colored, labeled green, labeled red. Then I will sort by the green photos because the red ones, I don't care. Those are my second string. If I really need to go back, I don't have enough photos, which I usually do. Depends on how long you shoot. If you're there, if I like when I was a photojournalist, if I shot a game for 10 minutes, I might have to, you know, that's all the time I had. I might have to do green and red and then go look at the red ones mm -hmm. because I didn't have quite what I needed in the green ones. So I'll go through, I'll sort by green. And then by that point, out of the 1800, I had, I think it was like, what did I write down here? 123 that I made green. So from 1800 to 123 that I really liked. But then that was too much. So I wasn't going to put those all on Facebook. I wasn't going to, you know, send those to my, my friend Craig from Small Town Sports Network. And so I went through and then I, uh, from there, I'm trying to call more. So what do I do? The ones that aren't green are going to be red. So I go through and I go red, 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 red. And then I got it down to 44 photos. So I've got 44 that are green. Those are my best shots, what they call winners in, uh, in uh, photo mechanic uh, terminology. Okay. And then the second string ones are all red. And then so there was, you know, whatever there was, 80-something red plus uh, the ones. Because remember, they started out green. But when I was going through the initial 1,800, there were a bunch that I made red also. So there ends up being hundreds that are red. 
when you shoot that much. And then I was left with 44 green. And then I brought those into Lightroom. And since I have the labeling match in Photo Mechanic matched to Lightroom, when you import those into Lightroom, they're already labeled. Mm -hmm. So they come in labeled green, they come in labeled red, and you can also do your IPTC tagging and, uh, you know, you can uh, on import into Photo Mechanic because it's quicker where it was shot, when it was shot, the teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I opened up Lightroom. They're all labeled. I did sort by green. There's my 44 photos, or actually it was 42 photos. And then I go through and I made my you know adjustments because I can't keep, I don't know about you, but I can't keep my horizon line straight to save my life <laughs> ever. It just doesn't. And I've got the grid turned on in the screen in my camera, and I still can't do it. And if you're on a monopod, you know, I was using that 120 to 300 Sigma, and you just can't keep things straight with that you're using one pivot point on a monopod right you yeah. know you're trying to move it around so you're gonna you're gonna be all messed up and that that's why you would want to shoot a little bit looser so you can account for that later when you crop so i go through and I, I crop and i make my adjustments and if the lighting's the same you can copy your settings and drill it out through all your photos yep. and that way you don't have to go mess around with each of them and then you just make micro adjustments as you go like okay i need to dodge here i need to burn here i need to maybe uh change this one a little bit and you're gonna change your cropping and you're done. So soup to nuts last night. It took me a little over. It was like three hours and 10 minutes to go through 1,800 photos, to cull them all down to 42 photos and deliver them essentially. And that's insane. Now, when I shoot maybe 500 photos, you know, next few, I'll probably shoot 1,000 next game. But by third or fourth game, I might shoot only 500 tops. We're talking probably an hour tops to go maybe 45 minutes to go through all those and edit them and put them up online. And that's because of photo mechanic. If you do it in Lightroom or bridge, it's going to take multiples of that right. photo mechanic is made for speed. That's why it's 150 bucks. They have a 30 day free trial CameraBits.com. If you're serious in the photography and you're shooting a lot of photos, whether it's sports or whatever, and time is of the essence and you want to spend more time with your family or go do things to make money, and you don't want to be sitting in your computer the whole time going through photos, drop the 150 and just call it good because it's amazing. Okay. Just try it out. A couple other questions. Do you have one catalog that you put everything in? No, I used to, but then I had over a hundred thousand plus photos in it. And in Lightroom, Lightroom doesn't like big catalogs. So what I ended up doing is I would have a catalog per shoot. And that was easier for me. So, uh, and you know, it's debatable whether or not that's good or not, but I think why not? I, I'm okay with sure. You know, and and for organizational reasons, I could see why some would want to do that. For me, it, I just keep everything in one. I actually was really interested in this, so I dove into the back end stuff for Lightroom. And I, it did used to be a factor when you got to a really high number, but I did test, I imported it was tough to figure out how to make it work, but I imported 600,000 photos into a catalog. And, wow. and the seek speed didn't change. So I think in the, in the most recent versions, performance isn't a reason to split it up, but organization certainly could be. Uh, so if, if that helps uh, photographers organizationally, splitting it up is, is, a, is fine, is, is good. How about where you're putting them on your hard drive? Are you putting, do you have like a, a football root directory <laughs> A root folder there and then you put each game in like a, a date structure or what is that how do you organize it 
All right. So what I do, so I've got a 27 inch 5k retina iMac and I think the hard drive is, it's an SSD, you know, Mm -hmm. solid state drive. Um, I think it's maybe at only a 256. I've had this one for a while. Right. So, you know, the 256 gigabytes. So there's not a lot of room, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I transfer the photos to my computer and when I'm done with them, I move them off to my Drobo, you know, my backup system. And I'm probably not going to look at them again for years in, in some cases. So, uh, what I will do generally is I will put them into a folder based on month. And so, you know, I've got all 12 months and they go in there like that. And then eventually what I can do, and I've done this, uh, you know, I don't mess with around with it too much. I'm a busy guy and I know where everything's at. If I need to find it, I can do a search and I can, I can get to it. But you in Lightroom, you can combine all your Lightroom catalogs. You can make them come sure. all back together if you needed to. Sure, right. So there's a lot you can do. And, it, you know, if you're trying to search, that's a great way because then you're searching one catalog, searching right. hundreds of catalogs. At my last newspaper, I, was, I did over 1,500 assignments. And so that's a lot to try to find. Right. But, you know, if I knew when a certain event was, a rodeo, and I knew it was the 4th of July rodeo. I knew it was in July or sometimes they would have it in, in late June. So I knew which folder to go look at it. You know, I'd go look in July 1st. And if it wasn't there, I'd go look in June. Um, and we're talking physically on the hard drive. And they'd be like, okay, there it is. And then I'd open the Lightroom catalog for that. Right. So, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. Whatever works for the way your brain works. Yeah, that's that's the biggest point is organize it how it makes sense to you. But, but you do need a plan for organization just uh, spewing everything into a, a single place and not keywording anything or, or having any ability to search it is going to become really cumbersome. So figure out what works for you, how you how you want to think about it and organize it. Okay, another question, last one will be, when you imported them, you do the green and red labels, do you delete, like physically delete the photos that didn't meet either of those criteria? It's a good thing you mentioned this because I was actually going to mention this on the last thing you were saying. But you went ahead and jumped into this. I'm glad you did. Uh, I tend, I'm a digital pack rat. I tend to keep everything. Yeah. And the reason why is because I come from the, you know, the, uh, the world of photojournalism where generally, and the bigger papers, if you, whatever you shoot, and this goes back to, you know, film days, early digital, everything, uh, whatever you shoot gets archived, even the out of focus shots. It all gets put, it used to be put on CDs or DVDs, and now, you know, it's on massive, you know, server farms. Because you never know. Like, okay, this is, I always have horrible, dark examples. Uh, let's, say <laughs> you're, you're, let's say you're shooting a football game, and um, you delete most of your photos, and you just have, you know, the first string, you know, people from the first quarter. And you're like, I don't care about, you know, the guys they put in towards the end of the game. What if one of the kids from the end of the game later on ends up, murdering someone that's horrible i know right but you've got a photo of that i'm talking about when you're you know a journalist and stuff yeah. there's reasons to hold on to, that was really dark i know sorry guys <laughs> but <laughs> if you've last this lasted this long in the podcast it's okay. <laughs> right. you earned that that thought of darkness but, well, uh, no we can know, make it more reason. positive we could say let's say they become a massive star and you want a photo from when they weren't see that shows the difference between your mind and mine <laughs> I'm cynical and I grew up in journalism and, and stuff. And so I'm thinking like, what's well, horrible that I'm going to need to go back to my, that my editor is going to ask me to go. Do you have a photo of number 43? We looked it up. Number 43 from back in 2008. Yeah. He murdered his cheerleader uh, wife. 
That's horrible, I know. But that's, you know, that's newspaper business right there. It's like, that's why you keep everything. But what I do, you know, I keep everything now. But, wow, just hard, the hard drives are getting, you know, full. I don't shoot nearly as much as I used to. But now that I'm shooting more sports and I've tried to keep my hard drive, you know, I've got Drobos and other backups to the Drobos. I don't want to have to buy new hard drives. I don't want to have to buy additional, you know, enclosures and stuff. So now I think it's time to go through those photos and try to purge a lot of them. The ones that didn't get greened or redded, um, you know, how many photos do you need of a, of a quarterback going back, getting ready to throw the ball? Right. I yeah. mean, you would do that might even be too much. I, I keep all of mine so far, but like you said, it, it, it becomes a, a backup nightmare. You, you're growing, uh, <laughs> the number of photos and how much space that's taking on hard drives. It's like weight you're carrying year over year over year. Exactly. And I, you feel it too, right? It's yeah. digital weight. You feel it, it. It's like it's unfinished business. At least I was going to say business. <laughs> <laughs> Watching too many movies and stuff lately. But um, um, it, it's unfinished business. You feel like if you have hundreds of thousands of photos, you're like, wow, I, I really need to deal with that because I'm thinking that's a, you know, but in my mind, it's like I've got enough things to do as it is. I'm going to check that off the list until it becomes a problem for me. Right. Like I, I knew I was shooting the game last night. I, I ended up shooting, it was about 50 gigs worth of photos, you know? Yeah, that's and a lot. So, that is a lot. 2,000 photos, you know? So that turned out to be like 45 gigs. And I was like, wow. Like, okay, so knowing ahead of time how big the files were, I was like, I need to make room on this hard drive. So now it's been a while since I've, you know, culled things down and gotten rid of stuff that I didn't need, you know, et cetera. So you got to kind of, you got to keep a, a decent balance. You want to spend time with your family. You don't want to be spending time deleting photos the rest of your life. Right. So, but that's when you go through the photos, maybe when you're going through and the obvious, what I didn't mention is the obvious out of focus photos. I'll hit whatever key it is to delete it. Like in Lightroom, it's X. And right. I can't remember what it is now in, in photo mechanics. I just started using it again. And so I'll go through and then those will get purged. They won't just be removed from the contact sheet, you know, in the catalog. They're gone. They're, they're just deleted. Because why have, if you're spraying and praying and you've got, Five shots where the guys are partially in the frame because you were shooting too tight. Why? Why keep those? Just delete those as you go. You know you're never going to need those. So go ahead and hit whatever key it is when you're in Lightroom or you're in Bridge or you're in, you know, uh, uh, Photo Mechanic. Just right there is when to, to delete those. At least you get rid of like maybe a couple hundred photos that way. Right. Why back up blurry, out of focus, you know, d useless photos? <laughs> Why? Yeah, it's a factor of laziness for me. <laughs> well, but as you're calling, like, how do you call? Yeah, so I, I do a star system, and um, today, I, you know, I import everything, and I go straight into Lightroom, and then um, go through and, and in the library module, and I do a bunch of tricks to make Lightroom faster, but um, give it the star system, and I use reject flag as well. So I'll, I'll reject the photos, that's the X flag. Uh, and, but then they're just out of mind after that. I don't today delete them. Now, one of the reasons for some of them that I would keep them, technology keeps improving. And even if it's blurry, they have cool stuff going on that can make it so that it can even fix some blurry things. Uh, you know, Lightroom out of, or sorry, Photoshop out of that a little bit ago that there's a, a filter there you can be, able, you can apply that helps to fix 
camera shake kind of and the fbi and the nsa and everybody has had this for years (laughs) right and so so who knows what they're going to be able to do with your photos later if if it's one that's like too dark now and when you increase it's too noisy so there's varying degrees of reasons why it is you might decide i don't want this photo uh so i don't know so far it's not a problem for me i i shoot as a hobbyist photographer so i don't have mountains that i'm building of photo weight here but um but it's certainly a, a thing I think about sometimes as I'm do- going through the process, like, gosh, there's, there's a bunch of stuff I really need to get rid of. And I, I should do a better job with that. But for now I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> but the obvious ones, like I said, like, yes. Oh, and I helmets in the frame. Those are gone. Yeah, I, that's right. There's some, well, like, uh, I accidentally right, took you a, redeemed yourself there. right. I took a <laughs> shot of my toes. Oh, well, I'll get rid of that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we've gone, I think, way over the time. <laughs> but I am so... I uh, knew it. <laughs> I did. I knew it was going to happen. And that's great. I, I mean, every once in a while, we'll have some of these. I'll make up for it and have like a 10-minute one next. <laughs> it's like a taco, photo taco grande. <laughs> yeah. They're going to need... You eat at the beginning and you eat at the end. So that's... Yeah. Before we close the show up, Sharky, what, uh, wh- where can people find you? Uh currently in my house but aside <laughs> but aside see you knew it was going to go there but aside from that you can find me the petapixel photography podcast at uh petapixel.com slash podcast uh we're in spotify we were the, actually the first photography yeah. podcast in spotify take that jim congratulations Harmer. on that <laughs> sticking it to the man <laughs> the ip chief the reason why we're here talking today no, I love Jim. And uh, so, yeah, we're in Spotify. We're in your favorite podcast app. Just type in Petapixel, P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L, and you'll find us. And uh, it's I'm having a lot of fun. It's great. Yeah. We're I, having a good time. No hesitation at all in recommending that podcast. There's room for all of us. We can all be friends. So. And, <laughs> And unlike this episode, I keep it to about 25 minutes. <laughs> <There you laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We were, un, we were unchained here. all right that's it for the episode thank you for joining me sharky you are welcome back anytime you like um we've tried a couple of new things on the podcast getting some guests to join me and i'd love to have some feedback if any of you uh, would like to tell me if you like or don't like what we're doing here and as always i encourage you to check out the other podcasts on the improved photography network there's portrait sessions tripod and improved photography all great podcasts that you uh you will learn a lot from And of course, uh, head over to the mothership. And I used that phrase before you did, Sharky. So just so you know, okay. (laughs) I said mothership before. From me, if you need to. I don't know why I even said it, but I did. You're gonna go next. (laughs) No, that's not happening. That's your that's your stick, not mine. All right. So (laughs) head over to the mothership at improvephotography.com. The podcast wouldn't be possible without that website. And we got news, gear, other photo tip articles coming every single day out on that website. So make sure to check that out. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!